Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. Another week. Uh, it's <laughs> a little gloomy here today in California, the day we're recording this. Uh, I bet people would just hate us in California. I, I was just thinking about it the other day, and it, it was like 70 in February, right? Like, we'll have a couple days yeah. like that. And then March, the last couple of years, has been, like, cold. And cold for us is, like, not above 60. <laughs> and I was thinking, like, gosh, people must hate us in California where we talk about the weather, but I mean, but we pay for I it. I mean, we had a little wind chill last night. It was pretty chilly last night. I was outside, oh but gosh. I know not compared to That's like funny. negative degrees and snow in yeah. certain parts of the country. So, yeah. but you know, when you grow up with sunshine and you're not used to below 50, it it's more of a shock. Oh yeah. I no, bet. absolutely. No, I agree. I agree. <laughs> Anyway, so we are coming at you with another wonderful guest. We're actually really excited to have Renee Peña-Lopez on. She's an early childhood development specialist and special education iterant teacher, and she is the host of her own podcast, The Magic of Littles. That's what I get for trying to take a sip of water in between talking, which is a great podcast that kind of brings that that honest and real conversation about what early childhood development is. So, Renee, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. Hi, thank you. Thank you both for having me. I'm so excited and thrilled to be here. So, Renee, why don't you tell our listeners how you got into early childhood development? Yeah, so I always tell people I kind of like fell into um, early childhood. I was I danced with for many years. And I tutored with different programs and things like that, and then I became an office manager at a mentorship program. And they had a preschool alternative program attached to it. And I just remember thinking, oh my goodness, these children are so young. Like, yeah, sure, kids can learn. You know, like, yeah, little, yeah. Little babies. And my director at the time was like, you know, any client that comes through, like, loves to stand and talk to you. All the kids, like, gather around you. Like, oh. would you like to hmm. join me in teaching pre-K, like the preschool? And I was like, what? Are you crazy? I just looked at her like, what am I going to teach them? Because mm-hmm. so, before that, I was teaching like middle school and high school and even college oh, okay. uh, dance and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, what am I teaching these little ones other than like, you know, ABC and one, two, three. And right, right. She was like, no, 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 I think it'd be great. And so I learned about separation and how to advocate for littles that need more support and how to partner up with parents. <laughs> and so... That was the year that really led me to see it work, a special education itinerary teacher here. I'm here in New York City. Mm-hmm. And so in New York City, we have this lovely program that serves three to five-year-olds in uh, needing like push-in special ed um, support in their classrooms. Oh, okay. And so I did that for six years. <laughs> and what I found is that like not every state has it, right? Right, so I got right. emails from people being like, did you make that up? Not <laughs> 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 make that up. Like it's a, it's a real job, but I don't know why every state doesn't have it because it's a lovely, you know, bridge from early intervention, which is birth under three, which I've done. Yeah. Um, and like sets is what we call it out here, which basically means one to child turns five, um, then special ed 
committee over here. So yeah, that's how I kind of found early childhood and I love it. So I define early childhood. I mean, yes, like I consider the babies early childhood too mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. toddler years, but I define it from preschool and first and second grade. And sometimes and that transition to like third grade because I feel like okay, it's about yeah. those early foundations, mm-hmm, right? And mm-hmm. so you know, toddler years, and I, I'm a mom too, so I know how important infant and toddler years are. Mm-hmm. But I've seen that, like, I often say this, teachers are the front lines. And so that's yep. when that shift starts to take for parents. You are speaking our language. We say that all the time about teachers being on the front line. And I think, you know, early intervention is everything. Mm-hmm. And while a man and I see, you know, the spectrum of kiddos in the sense of, you know, from three, you know, as early as two and a half, three to mm-hmm. 22, and we service all of them in between, it's really those kiddos that are at that kind of start of their educational career that need the most intervention. And you would think, would be ripe for that, you know, general education placement so that they're with peers that are going to be great little models for them. And it's just always such an uphill battle for us sometimes with some of our kiddos. You know, people just see labels and then they just give up on the child. And I wonder how that crossover is with you with the special education and with the littles. Are you seeing, you know, the early intervention being something very powerful or your reaction to people? Like, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a great question. So I think it depends, right? Like, it has such a big, we know social education itself has its own stigmatism and it's on its own without, without going into too much history detail. Like, early intervention, you know, I think about even my own child when she, you know, we go through, I don't know if you know this or not, but like, when you have, you know, milestones and they give you like literally on your every checkup, you're filling out this piece of paper and you're, you know, checking all the boxes and dotting all the cues and you're like, okay, like, you know, we're on track and you're like, yay, I'm doing something right because I don't know what I'm doing, you know, and you come across a point where that now they're doing autism on screenings earlier. Mm-hmm. I believe it used to be just at two, but now... I think we had ours at like 16 or 18 months. And so what I found interesting about that was like, I remember going to a screening and going, this is very, still feels very big, right? Like I'm very vague. And if this is what you're only looking for, like you're going to, like other things are going to fall into cracks. And because I was so lucky enough to have my skill set and the child that, you know, that's meant to be mine, like she definitely is my, I learned a lot from her. And so she has, and I'm dyslexic too, so she has some language processing issues, um, some speech issues. And so I saw it early, even at 13 months, but those type of things can be easily missed when she was hitting so many of her milestones, like from social play to like her ability to like basically jump at an early age. Like I was like, this girl's jumping. (laughs) Um, And I was like stunned and awe. So I think, Oftentimes, you know, it's left to like the way that the parents and that's when teachers come in and they're like, what do I do? But I find like certain, like if it's a medical thing, let's say Down syndrome or something, autism, like it's 
a plan is easier made, right? But if it's something that you're like, something's off and I just know, don't know what exactly, I feel like oftentimes that's where people get lost. And so like you said, like I often also say this, like children are not their labels, right? Mm-hmm. Like right. I say I'm dyslexic, but I know I'm not just, right? Like right. it just means I process things in a different way mm-hmm. and I will come to my own conclusion, but it gives me more knowledge about who I am, right? So that's all that really does is giving you the parent or you the teacher more information about this child right about this person so you can help them be the best they can be you know i've seen the gamut of like parents getting planted to seed from teachers opinion like um so you might want to like start the process and like i don't know how it is in california in terms of your process but over here it's slow and it's being slower because of pandemic and so you know even more so things get you know but what i'm finding is that like you know, as internet and podcasts and, you know, parents educate themselves and teachers are educating themselves that it's becoming less of a stigma, which makes my heart so happy. And really it's about the child and what they need. So, you know, I see a really bright spot happening in the last couple of years. Yeah, I think a lot more parents are becoming more empowered to get more information. Of course, there's the information overload, especially with COVID. Everyone's looking at Mm -hmm. everything online. There's so many podcasts and Instagram accounts that you can find, but I think it's helpful in a certain sense. In California, it is sometimes can be slower for our kids who don't have that clear cut diagnosis early on, because I think a lot of teachers in the early years, the pre-K through third grade, end up, they might see something that might not be as age appropriate, but it's not everything, right? It's one thing or two things. And a lot of teachers will say, well, that's something that like, I'm going to put in the report card, I'm going to talk to the parents Mm -hmm. about, but Mm -hmm. I'm not so worried that I'm looking to do an assessment. But then when that child goes to the next grade and has a different teacher, that's where we see things fall through the cracks because I don't always see teachers looking, I mean, they might look back at the previous year report card, but do they carry that information over Mm -hmm. and see like, oh, this is continuing to happen. And like, I think there's a lot of assumptions that, well, you know, kids learn at different paces. So, you know, they might be advanced in one area and, you know, I'm dealing with this with, I have a six month old. I hear people all the time being like, oh, well, like if your child isn't crawling at this this age, it's totally okay because, you know, everything is, is going to be different for your child. Like my son got his two front teeth at three months old. So a little early. So everyone's like, Oh, well, like he got his teeth early. So if he's not crawling or doing this, then it's like, so it's always that give and take. I think that parents hear of like, well, they might be great at one thing. So if they're a little behind in another thing, it's okay. But we get to the point of like, when is it, at that level where we need to look into it more and it's not just well they're doing okay in other areas so we can kind of forget this one thing for now yeah i think so you bring up two amazing points the first one i want to address is carryover from like one teacher to another teacher because it'd be from one school to another Mm -hmm. um that's i often tell my parents like when i did turning fives which basically means you move from um committee of preschool a special ed committee over here to like the big guy you know special ed committee and that's what all everybody and up so i often said like i often have do this and i was always happy to do it but i um if you don't have a special provider but if you have a teacher i'm happy to do this like write down any strengths any weaknesses and like any strategies that worked 
right? So like many strategies that worked for your child in the classroom and why they worked. Because, you know, beginning school it's busy, but like that's when teachers are gathering all that information up. Mm-hmm. And so that's like another tool that helps them. Even if your child doesn't have an IEP, it's still something that they can use in their back pocket, especially as they're getting to know your child. It empowers them, right? So I always say like, in the, I know, wait, like let the dust settle a little bit, not, not too much, but like, you know, even or sometimes you have those like welcome nights early and just like send a nice kind email that just says like, hey, like my child's in class, we're so excited, you know, in their preschool, we were working on these skills and we were keeping an eye out for X, Y, and Z and for these reasons. And then that leads, it lets the teacher know and administration know like, I need to keep an eye on this, right? Like it will not get lost in the cracks. It does not fall all to like the parent to feel that pressure and it helps a smoother transition into their classroom. And the other point that I wanted to bring up was children being in all levels and like at what point do you like mm-hmm. address the red flags. So for what I say when it gets in a way of their daily living skills, mm. right? So for my child, it was literally her communication, which is, you know, it's a big one in terms of like daily living. So she was getting easily frustrated every time she had to try to talk to a peer, a peer, excuse me. And when she had to try to express things to us, she would just kind of like fall out on the floor, you know, so it was getting the way of her like having just, a, you know, a couple of hours of like time with us. Right. Um, spent more time like redirecting her and trying to figure out what was happening than spending actual time with her for a while and so when it starts to get in a way of their growth and that can be in the classroom outside the classroom that's when you start looking for the support that you need i think that's really great advice especially for first-time parents and even second-time parents you know maybe their first child you know they just went through all the hoops and you know it is what it Mm -hmm. is and now they have a five-year-old and then you know with their second it looks a little different and each child is different, right? Just as each person is different. It's so easy for adults to know, and most adults may not, how to cope with certain things, right? How to regulate their emotions. And I often find we put a lot of pressure on our littles, like you call them, which I love, to be like little adults, right? Like the second they learn how to walk, you're just like, oh, you're just like a little human. Okay, you shouldn't be crying when you don't get your way. Like it's just, it doesn't work that way, right? Right. And I think now more than ever, there is this kind of positive parenting as well as just mom shaming in general, right? It was like, oh, your kid's not doing this. Your kid's not doing that. And it just, it's so overwhelming. So to have an approach of, you know, if it's getting in the way of them, you know, living pretty good life in the sense of, you know, they're so frustrated because they cannot communicate and you're seeing behaviors, then yeah, see if you need to get some help. Otherwise, just, you know, go about what you've been doing, right? And, you know, it all kind of pans out in the end. I think that's just really important for parents to hear. And having someone like yourself that has studied early childhood development and is in it, you know, I'm sure you see so many different kiddos do so many different things at so many different, like, ages and levels. Is there a kiddo that you can think of in particular that you were just able to kind of, you know, help in their growth and development? Or I'm sure you have a lot of those stories, but I just, I wonder if you have one off the top of your head. (laughs) No, I have tons. So this is like a story dear to my heart. It's one of the children, like why I got into what I'm doing. 
I feel like I have 50 of them, but it was the Mm -hmm. first one for me. So this particular child was reading at the age of three, right? But wasn't able to like cut and wasn't able to socialize and often would just like avoid when we did like teacher directed stuff when it was you know when it was time for those things like even if we were like making a recipe together you know like Mm -hmm. salad or what have you child would like avoid these things like literally just get up and walk away like i'm not dealing with this like this type of information and you might wonder like why does that (laughs) matter but like we know that like early executive functioning which is the functioning to organize and plan and to get things done eventually in life this starts early and so if you're able to like see something through mm-hmm. and it's a group activity there might be like some challenges there and he got highly frustrated when we use like scissors or spoons or any utensils and so even though he can read fluently like pretty fluent he wasn't able to connect with his peers in a meaningful way and highly avoided tasks like drawing right um, he wasn't scribbling um mm-hmm. the psychology behind scribbling and like being able to align your brain as you're doing that like mm-hmm. oftentimes it's also like oh, i just like to scribble on the phone well it's because you really are listening yeah <laughs> yeah you really are staying engaged because yeah. one part of your body needs to move and the other parts really engage in the information and so my like, scribbling is also a way of language and expression and so he was avoiding those type of tasks even though he had language in a different way right like and having right. highly um vocal skills you know you're talking about like well why does that matter well at the end of the day most of his day was avoiding most of the day <laughs> right that makes sense mm-hmm. right so he'd mm-hmm. literally come in and like get a book and then join us for like circle time but parts of the day like open work time he was avoiding those things and would often like like I said, read a book. And so I brought it up to his parents and his parents got went through like the whole CPSE system and got him evaluated and everything else. And he ended up getting a it. And at the time I wasn't certified, so I, was, I couldn't be a CM. And he got all these things done. And I remember two years later, so this program did three fours, but he only did threes. And so he went, he came back like kindergarten or first grade or something like that. Mm-hmm. And his mom came back and was like, thank you so much for all the work we've done. Because of this, like we found out he was gifted and more twice exceptional. And so what? like his path, his educational path was completely different than if we didn't notice it and he would have been into mm-hmm. like, you know, a typical classroom, those things would have been lost and they would have been like, oh, he's just not writing. Like he's just fighting against writing. When it wasn't, he wasn't fighting against writing. He just didn't have those skill sets, those foundations of like how to write and why it was important and how to stay on task. And, you know, he just didn't have it in in him innately, which is okay, right? And so we filled those gaps for him with the services that he got and all those things and worked with his, parents on that and when he came back they were like this is a totally different kid right like he's no longer like avoiding things at home and like helping to help with projects and things like that so you know oftentimes we're looking at challenging behaviors Mm -hmm. it's you know the function behind them and there's a reason for that and so the purpose for this child was just like he just couldn't figure it out right like no matter you know he, he was doing gymnastics and all this other stuff. So it wasn't like he wasn't getting um, the feedback in his body, right? Um, especially for young children. He just needed the extra support. And I think oftentimes I tell parents, going back the label conversation, 
and to teachers is that, you know, I believe it's the same for California, but you do not get a diagnosis formally in the school system until kindergarten. That is so, okay, yeah. Yeah, so like, unless it's like a medical diagnosis, right? You formally don't get one until kindergarten. And I and I always say like, take it, take it all. Like, you use it all, like get all the support you can because, you know, it's been proven that like by fourth grade, if a lot of this stuff starts to fall to the wayside, it only gets harder, right? Like it doesn't get easier. And so we say kids are sponges, they truly are. And why not give them everything they need? So I can go on and on. Right, right. Um, well, yeah. that's so true. I mean, and, and we often say this too, like a lot of supports that would help one child often is going to help the rest of the right, class. Exactly. Um, whether or not they need it in order to function, you know, okay or not, or if it's something just that is going to help them. I know that like play is one of those things. And I know that you talk a lot about using play. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So oftentimes people think play, they think, oh, imaginary play, which is like also known as dramatic play when kids are dressing up and mm-hmm. pretending to be things. And there are so many different types of play. And so they all serve their purpose, like rough play and solitary play and parallel play. And so play is important because that's children's work, basically, right? Like, I'm a big Mr. Rogers fan (laughs) over (laughs) here. And so I remember watching a show and, Mm -hmm. you know, the kind, the way he used to just say, like, children are, like, making sense of their world, basically, right? Like, that was his job to help children Mm -hmm. unravel Mm -hmm. these topics, like, Mm -hmm. these big topics. When he did the reboot. When I was younger, I didn't realize like it was a reboot, first of all, until later now that my kids watched like all of them. And I was like, oh, there were even like ones before. Older ones, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. At the time, he was talking about these big topics and he used the puppets and Mm -hmm. he used, you know, the people around him to help big topics like divorce and race and things like that. And you know, play just is how children are making sense of it. Like right. they may do it through art, they may do it through like building magnetiles. And really our job is to stay present with that. Mm. Um, and it can be difficult to do, right? Cause we have adult brain and we have like a to-do list of everything we need to get done as a teacher and as a mom, right? But play is just one of those really dynamic things that help children to unravel in a safe way. And it may makes sense to them like it's just what comes naturally even for a child who you might think play might not come naturally to a sense of play might like i remember there was a new york times article a couple years back about um children on an artistic spectrum well they were like debating about could they connect with people and how they connect and um one parent said like my kid connects with puppets and and connects with Disney characters, especially. Mm. And that really like sat with me and I was like, yeah, like not everything's gonna work for everyone, but we do what works, right? Because that's the way they connect to the world and that's beautiful, right? And so play allows for that flexibility. And that's why intervention is important because it helps to fill those gaps needed. Yeah, I often think that during this time of COVID, I'm sure a lot of parents are play fatigued, right? And not necessarily even understanding um, the the concept behind it. Um, so that explanation, I feel like kind of opens 
the floodgates in terms of the importance of right and and why you know some parents choose to put their their kids in daycare right for the play and and things like that um what are some of the things that you've seen in this last year that that could help parents with that aspect of play um since children may only have their siblings and or they just may be by themselves you know and it's it's a parent trying to to work but also try to instill these learning opportunities for their littles yeah so i am gonna probably be the opposite of most people so i'm gonna say lower the bar yeah um, yeah because you know, I think back to like my grandfather grew up in depression and you know, his parents didn't play with them. Like I remember hearing stories of like they all he remembers is that they worked, right? And so this is an odd point in history and we were doing the best you can. So like lower the bar. On my Pinterest I had this like board calls like work with me, like work beside me work. And basically it's like things, you know, things that your kid can do. It's not like worksheets, right? But right, it's right. play-based. And so they can basically do next year. Like if you put contact people down and put some pom-poms, depending on the age, right? Like and you might be working on like color matching, right? So they might put something red on top, something yellow and something blue. And they can sit there and organize them while you're like in a meeting, right? Or while you're uh-huh. um, typing up a report, right? So it's literally that, like work beside me. Like I'm at this, my desk right now thinking like if my child was here, I would have her do that, right? right? Or you can punch holes in a piece of paper and they can thread paper through, right? And, you know, there'll be times when you have, like, game nights and they're going to be socializing. And to be okay with, like, if your child doesn't want to do Zoom play dates, like, that's okay, right? Like, yeah. this is a weird, yeah. it's a weird format to, like, do. <laughs> so to feel that it's okay to do if they just have siblings, right? And also, like, learning independent play is, uh, like, a big skill. Um, so, like, I know this is a tough time. I, I'm right there with you. But I think if we just lower the bar and say, like, you know, my goal for t- today, right? my goal for today is just for them to, like, color match, right? Like, seems simple, but your child is always working on something. So it doesn't always have to necessarily come from you. I also, like, stock up on Amazon, like, get kits. Um, yeah. You know, like those art kits and yeah. stuff. So you feel connected with your kid. Like, we, we do them sometimes on rainy days. And, you know, I just keep them in a closet. And, you know, when I'm like, I don't know what to do, you know, like, we're bored. And I think there's nothing wrong with being bored. But sometimes, like, you as a parent, you're bored. And so you're mm-hmm. like, I need something to do. That's something to do, right? Mm-hmm. That's what teachers do, right? Like, we we stack things away and we're like, oh, you know what? We've literally done everything in this classroom. Maybe we'll pull out something new, right? That right. the kids won't wake right. up because they're bored of it, right? They've seen mm-hmm. it for, like, 20 days in a row. Yep. They're tired of it, right? Yeah. So, like, yeah. same thing happens in your home. Totally. And, you know, nothing's wrong with rotation like taking things away mm-hmm. you know i need to have all the things out actually just might be i need to do the same thing um but yeah i would say like in the time of pandemic like finding things and categorizing for yourself so so you have the confidence to be like and the kid your child would be like go long they would go along with your plan right so if you have your work beside stuff that's only a work beside light box they know exactly what to do they know how to get it and i have to say like we've done some screen time but i've like like i um cut it off at games like we don't do games just yet like you know those like highlight magazine games oh, she's yeah. only done 
one or two, but she's done it with me because I'm like, I don't want you addicted to this. <laughs> but we get highlights magazines and we get, you know, so I would say like, I didn't even realize they still made those magazines. I remember them, those from when I was a kid and like yes. in school or like the doctor's office, you go and they I know. are always going to have them there. I know. So they make them in Spanish too. So we, you know, that's how I sneak in. I like some bilingualism <laughs> for her. Yeah. Um, but I, but I would say like, you know, lower the bar and like go with your child's interests in that sense. And also like make a routine that makes sense for you. Right. So it doesn't have to be like the super structured every single day. You know, you have to do this at this time, unless you have class at that time. But it could be like, I remember for us, it was like, everyone gets up at this time. It's like a loose, like everyone gets up, we all have breakfast and then we have some playtime. And then, you know, we go outside for a little bit. And so like, but if your child needs highly structured things, then do it, right? Like we need a highly structured day. Uh, we needed a more loose day. So, right. you know, my child felt like she had some yes moments opposed mm-hmm. to like me being like, no, 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 we have to get this done. Like, it's like, why? We're home. Right, <laughs> right, right. So, because her school actually um, didn't do remote learning. Like they did it on Friday afternoons, right? And so we had something to look for on Fridays that okay. helped all structure, but the rest of it was like, just speech on Wednesdays and then the rest of it was just loose open. Yeah, wow. And so she got this, she got into the rhythm of it where, yeah. you know, where she was like, okay, like movie night's Friday and this happens. So I think if you theme it out in terms of like your family rhythm, that makes complete sense. But And I love you know, how you, I mean, you gave a lot of great tips, but just at the forefront, just saying, you know, give yourself a little grace. Like the the bar doesn't have to be right. Right. And, and I know a lot of parents have, have heard, you know, that kids are resilient and we'll get them there. And and it is worrisome. We've been in, at least in California, locked down for about a year. Mm. And while some schools are opening, it's not just regular opening, you know, it's hybrid. And I think that, you know, as long mm. as you are present and you are there as much as you can be, whether that's 10 minutes in the day while you're working or shorter or longer, I think that's what, uh, you know, our littles need and and the best that we can do right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And I think you're definitely right. Like we're in a pandemic and I think giving yourself grace, even if, you know, as vaccines roll out and everything else, just like, I was actually going to do a, a podcast on this, but like I talked about like your kids will be all right and they'll be, they'll be resilient. But, you know, it's also okay to say like, it's okay if you're not okay, right? Like right. it's okay right. that your kid has the big feelings and, you know, like you're worried about the gaps. Like there are resources like myself and yourself and, you know, reach out. Like there's nothing wrong with getting the support you need. And so I think at least for me, this pandemic has shown the more need of supports than, than, you know, allowing yourself that structure and that need. And so, yeah, allow yourself some grace. And, you know, for teachers and for parents, like, it's no more us versus them. Like, we're all here for the kids. So, yeah. Renee, where can people get more information about you, your podcast? How can they connect with you? Sure. So my website is themagicoflittles.com. I am frequently on Instagram, but I actually do a lot uh, a lot of work in my free Facebook group, The Magic of Littles Club. Um, on my website, you'll find the podcast, This is The Magic of Littles with Renee Peña Lopez. And yeah, I really, in my Facebook group, 
I go live, I give lots of tips, as you can hear. Yeah. <laughs> um, I support in a way. And then I also have a membership coming out to support as well. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Renee, for coming onto our podcast and just having a beautiful heart and explaining, you know, the importance of play for our littles and just how we as parents need to just give ourselves a break. <laughs> yeah, like, congratulations on six months. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Renee. Have, Thanks have a great day, everybody. <laughs> we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.